0: Hi everyone, my name's Dave. I'm part of the North Gathering of Mosaic Church and I'm one of the elders that oversees the whole church. Really warm welcome to you. Uh, We're carrying on our series today looking at this letter from a guy called Paul to the churches in a place called Galatia. He wrote this 2,000 years ago, but we're trying to figure out, well, what does this letter still mean for us today? And we're going to see that Paul's going to tell us two really important things. Uh, He's going to show how God brings about unity in his church family in the face of division. Uh, God's church is to be a family made up of every kind of person across the face of the globe, that God is for every single person. God doesn't show favouritism and that's so important because it means you have a place in the family of God. And the second thing we're going to see is that Jesus is the one who has brought this family into being by rescuing us from the powers of sin and death. You know, in our world that seems to be divided along so many lines, that seems to be held in the grip of disconnection and disunity and disrespect and death. These words written 2000 years ago are still revolutionary and full of hope for us in the 21st century, they show that you have a home, you have a family, whatever your background. And they also show that you can be rescued from the powers that would seek to destroy you. So it's quite an important letter. So let's get into it, let's see uh, what Paul says. And We've got to remember when we're reading this um, letter to the Galatians, we're effectively reading somebody else's mail. Paul is writing to specific churches that have got a specific problem. And so we need to figure out, well, what was Paul saying to them and what did he mean for them? And how does that still uh, have any relevance for us today? And this guy, Paul, is basically writing to these churches and these churches are made up of two different groups of people. They're made up of Jews and they're made up of Gentiles. Now, Jews were... God's chosen people. These were the people whom God had rescued out of slavery in Egypt in the Old Testament. These were the people God had promised a land to and God had promised that he would dwell with them. Gentiles, on the other hand, well, the Jews thought Gentiles were excluded from all of that. They thought these were people who were outsiders to their religion, people who were far off from God. So how have these two groups ended up in the same church family? Well, they've ended up there because of Jesus, because the son of God who took on humanity to reveal to everyone what God was truly like, died on a cross and rose three days later to show that sin and death had been defeated and that this was good news, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. These two groups have been brought together into one church family because of their shared faith in what Jesus had done for them. You know, what was true then is still true today. The church across the globe is a people who are united by their shared faith in Jesus. Therefore, the church across the globe always has been and always will be radically diverse because faith in Jesus cuts across Uh, racial barriers, it cuts across gender divides, it cuts across socioeconomic differences, it cuts across class differences, it cuts across educational qualification differences, it cuts across experiences in life. All Christians are one in Christ Jesus, they are united by their shared faith in him. Now for the Galatian churches, this good news actually raised a really big question for them. How were they meant to live now that they had put their faith in Jesus? You see, for the Jews in the Old Testament, God had given them a law that they were meant to live by, a list of rules that they, and commands they were meant to keep to show their obedience to God. Now, for the Jews who put their faith in Jesus in this church, they're asking the question, well, are we still meant to keep that law or not? And these Gentiles who've also come to faith in Jesus, do they need to start keeping that law or not? How did God want this new community of people to live? And Paul is basically writing to them to help them answer that question because it's causing division in the church. Some people in the church are saying everyone needs to keep following these laws and other people are saying no one needs to keep following these laws. So Paul writes to them and he says this in chapter three, verse two. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Now, we need a bit of background to help us understand that. But right through the story of the Old Testament, God had promised his people that one day God's spirit, his Holy Spirit would come and dwell within his people so that they could know intimacy with God and so that they could be empowered by God to live in the freedom and the joy and the obedience that God desires for all of us. So God's people, the Jews, had been waiting for this promise to come to fulfilment. When will the Spirit of God come and dwell within us? They kept asking. And then Jesus comes along and he dies and then he rises, is raised from the dead three days later and we come to a day called Pentecost. And you can read about Pentecost in the book of Acts, chapter 2. And on that day, all these promises from God about the Spirit coming to dwell in his people were fulfilled. The Spirit of God is poured out on all the believers and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is asking these Galatian uh, Christians, well, did you receive the Spirit by the old way of life, of following the law, or by believing what you heard about Jesus and what he had done for you and by putting your faith in him? And Paul's basically saying the answer for both the Jews and the Gentiles is that they've received the spirit of God by putting their faith in Jesus, by putting their trust in him. Their shared faith means they now both have fellowship with one and the same spirit of God. So how are they meant to live? Not by following the works of the law, as in days gone by, those days have passed. They now live by their faith and trust in the person of Jesus and by developing relationship with God's Spirit. And you know, what's true for them is still true for us today. As a church, both in Mosaic Church and globally, the worldwide church, we're united by one thing by our shared faith. In Jesus and receiving the one Spirit of God who dwells within every single Christian across the face of the globe. And it's God's Spirit who reveals to us and reminds us the amazing truths about what God says about us and what God has done for us. The Spirit of God is the one who says you are a child of God. The Spirit of God reminds us you are so loved by God the Father. The Spirit of God uh, reminds us that we are saved because of what Jesus has done for us, not because of anything that we have done. The Spirit reminds us: God delights over you with singing. All of those things are things that the Spirit calls to mind and uh, kind of rises up in our hearts. So, what united the church two thousand years ago? What unites Mosaic Church then? What unites Mosaic Church to so every other church across the globe? is that we have the shared faith in Jesus and the shared relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now here's the thing, here's the thing Mosaic. If we try and be united around anything else apart from our faith in Jesus and fellowship with the Spirit, we will see that cracks start to appear in our church family. We are not united because we all get on with each other. We're not united because we're all the same or because we all like the same things, or because we all believe the same things about every area of theology. We're united by our faith that in Jesus, God has acted to save and redeem and rescue every single one of us to bring us into relationship with God, and that each one of us has received the same spirit of God. And do you know what? This has got to be central to our church family Otherwise, we will always struggle to be outward-looking. We will always struggle to be missional. If we think we are fundamentally united by anything else apart from our faith in Jesus and the sharing of the Holy Spirit, those things will become barriers to other people joining the family of God. If we think people have to look a certain way or sound a certain way or like similar things to us, or have a certain amount of money in their bank account, or similar life goals and aspirations, or be in the same class, or behave and act in a similar kind of way, all of those things will become reasons why people feel excluded from the local church, or pushed away. We have got to keep our shared faith in Jesus and fellowship with the Spirit front and center to everything we do in our church family. That's the way that we keep proclaiming the good news to Leeds and the the nations of the world that everyone has a place in this family if they put their trust in Jesus. Everyone can receive the Holy Spirit and have intimacy with God if they put their faith in Jesus. They become one uh, with the rest of the church family if they put their faith in Jesus and that's the only requirement. That was the good news that healed the divisions in Galatia 2,000 years ago. That's the good news that will mean we become an increasingly diverse family where everybody finds a home. Do you know what? Paul could finish his letter with that one sentence. Uh, He could finish this section of his letter with that one sentence and and it would be a great message. It would be a really, really good message and it would be a powerful message for the Galatian church to... Uh, received they would see that Christianity isn't this parochial small-scale faith but it's a a universe-encompassing reality a revelation from God himself to to all people everywhere to the whole of creation that God is creating a new united humanity to be part of his redeemed and restored and renewed creation that's where Paul could end But actually, Paul carries on his letter and this chapter a little bit longer because he knows, I think, that there are some blockages and barriers that can prevent us from either putting our faith in Jesus or being reminded of how good the news of Jesus is. What Paul reminds us next is that we live in a pretty dark and foreboding world and we need to keep our eyes fixed on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, to us, done for us if we are to hold on to the fact that he is light and hope in this dark world. In verses 13 and 14 of chapter 3, Paul writes this. Christ, Jesus Christ, redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. OK, so, so Paul writes that Jesus has redeemed us from a curse, which begs the question, well, what's the curse? Well, Paul says the curse is the law the law that God had given his people to follow. Well, that's a bit confusing. Why is that a curse? Did God give his people a bad thing? No, the the law itself wasn't bad. The law was good. Paul says that multiple times elsewhere in in this letter and other letters, the law was a good thing. So what was the curse? Well, the curse was that God's people were never able to keep the law. They always failed. Why did they always fail? Because of their sin the curse Jesus saves us from ultimately is sin. The curse that was preventing the the blessing of this good news going to all the nations across the face of the earth was that sin was turning God's people in on themselves rather than propelling them outwards on mission to the other nations. You know, sin um, is described in so many different ways in the Bible. And what Paul is saying here is that Jesus has saved us from the curse of sin in all its forms, in all its manifestations. On the cross, Jesus became a curse when he was crucified. When he was hung on a pole or hung on a tree, he became a curse. He became sin to rescue us from the curse of sin you know when we look out at the world or when we read the news or even when we look inside our own hearts we can see the destructive power of sin at work turning people in on themselves turning us in on ourselves creating selfishness or hostility or division or injustice or hatred you now jesus takes on that sin when he died on the cross he took on this curse to free us He took on this curse to free us from sin's destructive power. Now, we could spend hours and hours talking about the different ways that sin is described in the Bible and how Jesus frees us from those uh, things. I just want to focus on two to end. Firstly, in the Bible, sin is often described as being like a power, a power which holds us back from fulfilling the way that God wants us to live. It's the power that makes us want to ignore God. It's the power that makes us want to distrust his character. It's the power of sin that turns us inward on ourselves, makes us tribal, makes us fear things and people who are different from us. Sin's power is the root that bears the fruit of racism and war and hatred and discord and gossip and a whole host of other things. Jesus died on the cross and he became sin for us. He took on what sin is. He took on the power of sin and he took it into the grave. And then he was raised to life three days later and he, in doing so he disarmed the power that sin had over us. He disarmed it, meaning we no longer have to live under the mastery, under the control of sin. Jesus' death and resurrection actually frees us from sin's grip so that we are able to live for God. We are freed to know Him in an incredibly intimate way way. We're free to have his Holy Spirit come and dwell inside us. We're freed to be empowered by the Spirit to say, yes, I trust you, God. Yes, I want to live for you. Yes, I love you. Yes, I want to follow your ways. And the Spirit empowers us to say yes to God and no to what sin would have us do. It frees us to see people as God sees them. The second thing I would focus on is sin is the reason why death is in the world you know death is the consequence of a a world and a human race disconnected from God because of sin and again Jesus died on the cross and he entered death on behalf of everyone who would put their trust in him and he was raised to life three days later to show that not only was the power of sin disarmed but the victory of death was over that death had been conquered and defeated, that death no longer has the final say. Even though the sting of death causes immense pain and hurt in this life, death's victory has been overcome. We are freed from the fear and the grip of death to receive the gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus. You know, in our world of darkness, where we experience disappointment and loss and grief and uncertainty and suffering, the good news of Jesus can sometimes be a hard thing to hold on to. But that's why Paul writes what he does here. He says, cast your eyes and your mind back to what Jesus has done for you on the cross God calls everyone to turn their eyes to his son, hanging there on the cross, but then raised to life three days later to say, even though the world looks dark, even though it looks like sin and death are running rampant, cast your mind back to what Christ has done. And know that though sin is wreaking havoc still, its power has been broken. Though death is still existent in the world, it has been conquered When we cast our eyes back to Jesus, we see light and hope in the face of darkness. we see that he's the one who has conquered the grave for us. He's the one who's defeated the power of sin. He's the one who declares us innocent, even though we are guilty of sin. He's the one who honours us, even for all the times that we have felt ashamed. He's the one who loves us, even though we often feel like we should face condemnation. When we look to Jesus and what he's done, we see a light shining brightly in a world of darkness. And we see that that light is brighter than the darkness can ever be. That's the light that unites God's family. That's the light that brings God's family together in the first place. That's the light that we need to hold front and center. That's the light that is the good news that propels us out into mission. So to end, what do you do with this? What do you do with what Paul writes to the Galatians and what it means for us today? Well, firstly, if you are watching this and you are not yet a Christian, but you would say you are coming to a place of believing and trusting in what Jesus has done for you, then I would say you need to ask God to send his Holy Spirit to dwell within you. You need to tell God that you trust him. You need to speak out to God that you love him because he has loved you first and you need to realise you are joining a beautiful diverse family of the children of God across the world and join one of those families of God in your local area and if, if that's mosaic amazing and if you're watching this somewhere else google whatever churches are close to you and go along and say I've just joined this family and you'll be welcomed in and if you're already a Christian. These words remind us of how good the good news of Jesus is, that in him alone we have hope and salvation and rescue and redemption. And these words remind us, do not make anything else central to the family of God apart from faith in him and the spirit that unites us. And let's be asking the Spirit, Spirit, give me the grace that I need for the day ahead. Spirit, give me the strength that I need for the day ahead and to patiently endure this difficult season. But also give me the boldness and the courage to know that this is good news. This is news that shines that light in the darkness. Who can I share that good news with? Give us faith, Holy Spirit, to believe that God is at work and for hope that he has acted and is acting and will act to end all the suffering and all the injustice and all the pain that so often looks like it's winning the day, but in light of Jesus we realise it never has the last word. Let me, let me pray for you, let me pray for us to end. Uh, Lord Jesus, we turn our eyes afresh to you, died, crucified, yet risen and ascended and ruling and reigning in heaven. We cast our eyes to you and we say, Jesus, we look at this world and it seems so broken in so many different ways, but we fix our eyes on you, Jesus, and we are reminded that you have defeated death. You have disarmed the power of sin. Holy Spirit, come and fill us as we uh, engage with these truths now. Come and fill us with the knowledge of the glory of God come and fill us with an empowerment to say yes yes to living your way and no to sin Holy Spirit come and fill us afresh now as we worship you as we turn our voices in praise to you empower us afresh give us intimacy with the Father afresh I pray all those things in your blessed name Jesus Amen